0: Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for his kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. Good morning, it is good to be here with you guys this morning. Um, my name is Mick O'Hanahan, I'm one of the elders here at the Christian Church Carl Junction and we are going to have the third in a series of eight uh, episodes of the, the Gospel of John and so I um, hope you've been with us for the last few weeks. Uh, Keenan Klein started us off a couple weeks ago and then John Desmond spoke last week and so again I'm bringing you part three this morning. Our, our scripture is going to be John chapter 5. That's where we'll spend most of our time. But we're actually going to start with 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. Before I do that, though, let's let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house this morning. It's so uh, amazing to me every time I think about the fact that you set up a family of God for us to be a part of, and then you gave us your son, and you gave us the word so that we can study and learn about you and, and just learn to be stronger spiritual Christians. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, you don't have to look this one up, but if you, you can if you want, obviously. Um, verse 7, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, rather train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness is value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, when I start doing one of these sermons, I like to sometimes read it in different versions. The King James Version of uh, verse 8 kind of cracked me up. The one I just read from NIV is, For physical training is of some value, okay? King James Version says, for bodily exercise profiteth little. It's saying, hey, why bother? You know, it, it, it's, it's, it's not much worth to you. Right, Adam? <laughs> so picking on my buddy Adam over here um, a little bit. How many of you like to exercise? Raise your hands if you like to exercise. Okay, there's a couple, yeah, liars. But um, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. I happen to know that my friend over here, Adam Jones, is a lot like me. He doesn't particularly care for exercise. However, we both like games and we're both competitive, so sometimes our wives trick us into exercising by getting us to play pickleball or racquetball or something like that, and we we enjoy those things, and so we we accidentally get to uh, have some exercise when we do those things. But uh, anyway, since December... Um, I have not been able to get much exercise at all. I we moved to a new house in early December, and I messed up my arm. I did something to the shoulder. It's been hurting a lot. Um, it just sharp pains. the the bicep aches. Lately, it's gotten worse. It goes. It's been down in my elbow, and uh, it's just awful. I just I can't even describe it to you, really. I wake up in the middle of the night, and it's just, it's just throbbing sometimes. And I just, I kind of want to whimper. And I think, man, this is just, this is not good. This is not who I am. I like to be active and do things. I like to go fishing and, and uh, organize my garage, take care of the yard, do things. And I haven't been able to do much of that lately. You know, one thing I found out through all of this, is it is not easy to ask for help when you're hurting, is it? And sometimes we just need to do that, whether it's something physically or otherwise. Um, one thing that happened to me as I was laying there at night is I think Satan started lying to me. He started telling me, this is it, Mick. You're, you're crippled up. You, you're not going to be able to do much from now on because of your arm. And you know what? I started listening to him. I started believing that and adjusting my life to do that. In other words, I made Lisa do more work around the house. But um, anyway, not really, just kidding. Um, I went to see a chiropractor this last week, though. And, I mean, I I honestly didn't expect him to be able to do much for me. I I thought, you know, what's he going to do with that elbow? Twist it around here and there and and fix it for me. I really didn't have much faith that anything was going to happen. But, you know, that guy knew what he was doing. He started asking questions and poking and prodding me, you know how they do. And uh, he found out that there is absolutely nothing wrong with my arm. What he found was a, was a big knot right down here in my neck about the size of a walnut. I didn't even know it was there. I knew it was there by the time I left because he hurt me bad. He dug and he prodded and he pushed on that thing and he cracked my neck a few times. And that knot was sitting right on top of some nerves that go down my arm. That's why I was having pain down here was because of the nerves. Our bodies are amazing things. How God put them together, right? And I was out of alignment. I was a, well, I still am a mess. But, but He's He's going to work it out for me over the next few weeks. Hopefully, uh, that knot will go away completely, and I'll be able to use my arm again and go fishing. And so that's a, that's a good thing. But we have to uh, we have to be in alignment. I recently read a sermon from Boyce Moten. Um, about exercising ourselves to godliness Uh, we have to train ourselves to be godly right same as we have to work out and exercise physically we need to train ourselves to be godly I was reminded about this and that's was our first uh, scripture that we read this morning when um, I was talking to the chiropractor at the end of the appointment and (laughs) of course again he had just hurt me bad and uh, I was like well, should I not use the arm? Should I maybe, should we just put it in a sling? Because I was looking for an excuse to not use it. It, it hurt when I use it, you know. And uh, he said, no, if you did that, if you didn't use the arm, the muscles would begin to atrophy right away. Atrophy is where your muscles just disappear. They, the, the cells actually start to degenerate. And it amazed me. He said at 3% a day. So in 10 days... Your muscle could be a third gone, and I'm old. I don't have time to rebuild them that much. So that kind of was just crazy to think about, that it would disappear that quickly. Um, On the other side of that is somebody that likes to exercise, right? My wife likes to run. She loves to exercise. Um, She doesn't do marathons. That's 26 miles. So what she does is half marathons, only, only 13 miles, right? No big deal. But you have, to, you have to train for that sort of thing. You have, to, you have to build up to that. And what you're doing when you're training, so she says, I don't know, for that, is you're, you're teaching your muscles to keep going even when your mind says, that's enough, it's time to quit, let's, let's just stop. And so you've trained your body and your muscles to keep going. So how does that apply to us spiritually? Well, we need to train spiritually so that when Satan starts attacking us and he starts saying, you know what, this world is nuts. It changes every month. It changes every week. What's going to get thrown at us next week, you know? And we say, oh, maybe I should just give up. I can't take any more of this. No, that's when, if we're strong spiritually, we can simply get reminded that Jesus is with us. He's promised to stay with us always. And he'll never leave us. We need to remember that at those crucial times when we're ready to give up. So we have to exercise to stay in shape, right? Both physically and spiritually. Okay, now we're going to get to our, our scripture for today. John chapter 5. We'll be going through verses 1 through 15. And it's located on page 742 of the Blue Bibles there. They're on the chairs. If, you, uh, if you'll look that up. And go through it with me. That'd be great. But as you're looking it up, I just want to tell you, uh, and we say this every week here, I think, but if you don't have your own copy of the Bible, please take one of those blue ones and keep it. Take it home with you. We want you to have your own copy of the Word of God. If you're watching this online, just make an entry there or make a comment that you need a Bible, and someone from our staff will get you one, uh, hopefully within the week, I think is our goal there. But we want you to have your own copy of the Word of God. It's so important. So, John chapter 5, verse 1. Let's dive in. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. So we're just getting started, but I'm going to stop you right there. So what is, what is Jesus doing there, do you think? He's going to a Jewish festival. And all through the Gospels, we see Jesus going to synagogues, right? So what's he doing? Jesus is going to church. The one guy in the history of the world that really doesn't need church, right? He's going to church. What can we learn from that? He didn't need it, but he did it. That's one of the spiritual exercises we can do. It strengthens us as Christians to be around other Christians. We need to surround ourselves with Christians. That doesn't mean 24-7 we're immersed just with other Christians. That's not what I'm saying at all. When we need to, well, our, our job as Christians, if you will, is to make disciples that make other disciples, right? That's what this church, this congregation believes. Well, you can't do that if you're just around other Christians. You have to get out in the world, which we do in our jobs, in our, our stores, in our local areas, our neighbors. We need to get out and know people so that we have a chance to influence them. And make make disciples out of them that's what I'm trying to say there so here we have Jesus though exampling for us or giving us a model of going to church it is so important to have other Christians in our lives this morning you're here on in person or you might be watching online and that's okay it's not so important that you be here this morning but it is important to find ways to get yourself around Christians. And church, in-service, is one way to do that. Sunday school classes, small groups. In this church, we have what we call oikos, and that means an extended family. And so if you need to get hooked up with one of those, um, you can contact anybody from the staff here at church. They will probably then direct you to James Billings, and he will get you hooked up with an oikos. Um, but we have plenty of of those around the area, we can get you plugged in, and we want to do that with you. So, the last time I preached was about a year ago, and I used this same example back then um, of something called the proximity principle. Okay, this is a book written by Ken Coleman, and the book pretty much talks about your career, what you do for a living, and the, the one of the things he talks about in the book is that the vast majority of Americans hate what they're doing as a job, as a career. Um, They don't like it. They feel unfulfilled. They're not happy. And so he encourages you to figure out what it is that you want to do. And then using the proximity principle, you can go after that career. You can have a career change. An example, an easy example is if you decided that you wanted to be a fireman. Probably a, a good next step for that would be to go down to the local firehouse and talk to the guys and introduce yourself. You'll probably end up meeting the fire chief. They'll surely start training you and talking to you about fires. And you'll learn all about fire and how to put them out and how to deal with that, right? And going on rescue missions and stuff. That's the proximity principle. There's a flip side to this as well. If you're, uh, if you're well, you, it could be you or it could be your kids or your grandkids, um, the people they're hanging around will influence them as well. And that could be a bad thing. So if you're out or your kids are out, say, with somebody that's doing things like shoplifting or partying all the time or cussing, I don't know, there's lots of bad stuff in the world, right? If you're hanging around the wrong influence, that can affect your life too. You um, You will be affected by that. That's why hanging around Christians is such a good spiritual exercise. We need to have that spiritual workout. We don't want to start to atrophy, right? We don't want it to start to waste away. Have you ever been surprised at how quickly it is and how easy it is to slip away from God? We we'll come to church on a weekly basis, but all of a sudden, maybe you realize that it's been a while since you've actually talked to God. It can happen so, so easily. Um, if I decide, heaven forbid, that I need to go on a diet, okay? I'm going to start watching what I'm eating, and I'm going to work out two or three times a week. I have maybe 10 weeks to lose 10 pounds. That's a pound a week, right? That's good. That's my progress. If I, believe me, if I can lose a pound a week, I'm thinking, okay, that's good progress. I'm, I'm on track here. But what happens if I decide that I'm done with the diet? And I start eating as much cookies and ice cream as I as I want to all the time. Quiet, Lisa. Um, and I quit working out. I'm sitting around more instead of going and, and doing something to work out. Do I gain that weight back one pound at a time? I wish. I wish it was just that bad. Usually it's like three or four pounds at a time. It's amazing how quickly it happens. And the same thing happens with God. We can We can quit being diligent we can quit getting spiritual exercise and slip away so quickly so how do we do that how do we get spiritual exercise well we pray we talk to god about everything it says pray everything all the time Uh, we dig into the word here and we read and then we talk to god while we're praying and we we ask him to show us this new life that he has in store for us god has an amazing life in plan for each of us if we'll just go after it okay all of that to say jesus goes to church but and a few more things but anyway let's go back to our scripture verse two now there is in jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool which in aramaic is called bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades bethesda means house of mercy or house of grace the location was actually seen as a place of disgrace because there were so many invalids there. You see, culturally, there was a belief that physical disabilities were the direct result of sin. Verse 3, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Now, when I grew up, this story seemed a little different to me, um, and I realized that it had included a passage that was no longer there. Back when they uh, translated the King James Version of the Bible, there was something that they were trying to explain there, and so the writers put something in on their own. It was not God-breathed. It was not part of John's writing, and so they took it out. Now, if you see it in your Bible at all, it's probably a footnote at the bottom. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It it would have been verse 4 from the past. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease they had. That's something they put in as an explanation. So I did some more research on this, and I found out that the Greeks had a cultural context about this pool. The Greeks had created a cult around Asclepius, who is the pagan god of healing. The Greeks attributed healing powers of natural springs to spirits, so... Like if bubbles would come up, you know, if you've ever been to a hot spring, you'll see bubbles burble up all of a sudden. Burble, I don't know where that came from. But anyway, <clears throat> they say, oh, look, a spirit must have done that. So this belief made its way into this cult of Asclepius, and they built these temples called Asclepions, and the sick and the ill and the diseased people would come and congregate at these, at these temples. And there where they would pray and they would fast and they would chant, waiting for a chance to be healed by these waters. Remember our first scripture we read today? 1 Timothy 4, 7, it said, Have nothing to do with myths and old wives' tales. That's also a great reason of why we don't mess with the word. We've, we don't want to be changing what it says here, okay? What's interesting is work still continues to make sure we've got it right. For 2,000 years, scholars have been working to make sure that the translation is correct, that it's the original, um, and that's that's an important thing to know. Okay, verse 5, one was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. Can you imagine what it would be like to be an invalid for 38 years, to just lay there with nothing to do year after year, month after month, week after week? I I can't I, the hope the words hopeless and helpless come to mind um, I, I don't know what was going on with this guy I mean he I don't know that he was completely paralyzed we don't know that but I do realize that I don't think he was willing to fight for himself or he, surely he could have made friends in 38 years with somebody that would have helped him out but he just continued doing the same thing year after year When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Jesus never forces people to heal, does he? He always invites. We're talking here with this example as a physical healing, but it's the same with spiritual healing. He invites us to get healed. He always invites. He doesn't force us. So what did Jesus do here? He, he was walking into a pagan territory, and he was confronting a long-standing cultural myth. Um, last week, John Desmond talked to us about a Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus went into pagan territory there to make that happen, right? He went into Samaria on purpose. Intentionally, he knew that woman was going to be there. He knew he was going to have a confrontation with her that day and what did he do he wanted to make a claim to her and everyone else that he's the source of healing he is the source of living water right and so in this case does it matter if you're the first one into the water is that what's going to heal you no it's not all he had to do was accept jesus's invitation to be healed and that's what we have to do. Verse seven, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Now, when Jesus asked, do you want to be healed? That's kind of a yes or no answer he's looking for there, right? One word, one way or the other. But instead, this guy, he makes an excuse. He says, no one was there to help me. You know, that's something we tend to do when When things are new or difficult, when we have something to deal with, a lot of times that's because we have sin that's clouding our judgment. And when when sin is clouding things up for us, it makes it easier to ignore the problem. He had a choice to make, just as we all do every day. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden, when he created the Garden of Eden, he put two trees, the tree of life and the tree of good and evil, In the center of the garden, it says, Adam had to be confronted with those trees every day. He couldn't hide from them. God told him, you can eat from any tree in this garden. You can have anything you want except for that one. You can't have any fruit from the tree of good and evil. Adam had to make the same choice every day. He had to confront this, and he had to make the right choice every day. Eat anything else, don't eat that. That's all he had to do. When God had Noah build the ark, Noah had to make the decision every day to keep on building that ark, to keep preparing it so that he could be saved. Everyone else, everyone else in that time made the wrong choice. They just wanted to follow along with what everyone else is doing. That's kind of a key. If we find that we're doing what everyone else is doing, check that. It might be that you're just going along because it's the easier thing to do. We don't want to do that. When Joshua and Caleb and ten other spies went into the land of Canaan, Joshua and Caleb made the right decision. They made the decision to not give in to the fear and follow along with what all the others were thinking. But, you know, you don't have to take my word for it. You know me at this church. I'm just... I'm Mick O'Hanahan. You got the Bible right here. Dig into it for yourself. Don't take my word for these stories. Dig into it and read and learn for yourself. And ask God to show it to you. He will. Every day we have to make the choice to keep strong spiritually. So again, how do we do that? We pray. We read the Bible. We talk to God. And we surround ourselves with other Christians. Let's go back to our scripture. Verse 8. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. Jesus has the ability to heal instantly. But transformation sometimes takes a while. If that's the case with you, don't give up. Just because you're not instantly healed doesn't mean that he's not working on you and that you're not being healed. Transformation can take a while. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Can you believe that? This guy has laid around for 38 years, not able to move, and then his legs are healed. His back is straightened. And there's muscle there to hold him up. You know, after all these years of laying there doing nothing, he's healed. He stands up and he can pick up his mat. And the first first thing he's hit with is religion. People telling him what he can and cannot do. Follow the rules. Religion sets rules. Jesus sets expectations. Religion shoots for compliance. Jesus wants for you to be transformed. He wants you to be restored. Verse 11. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed. Just said <laughs> Get my glasses back on. The man who was healed and had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Jesus never draws the spotlight to himself, does he? Him or his followers. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. When Jesus rescues us, he also sends us. We teach a lot in this congregation that getting, accepting Jesus isn't the end of the story, it's just the beginning. He has things for us to do. It's not required. That's not what it takes to find salvation, doing things. But it's not the end of the story either. He has things for us to do, and He challenges us. When He heals us, He challenges us at the same time. Verse 15 The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. How do we grow the kingdom? Through our testimony. We have to tell people what God has done for us. Let's go back through the big ideas of this morning real quick. We have to exercise to stay in shape, don't we? Both physically and spiritually. And remember, the longer longer we allow sin to cloud our hearts, the easier it is to ignore the problem. Jesus never forces people to heal. He always invites. Remember, the point there is not just a physical healing he invites us he invites us everyone to be healed spiritually to have our sins forgiven that's why jesus came to earth so that he could die on the cross and be resurrected so that we could be healed spiritually he always makes an invitation and a challenge at the same time and jesus is inviting you today religion sets rules Jesus sets expectations, remember that. And remember, when Jesus rescues you, he also sends you. The kingdom always, only, goes through, grows through the testimony of its people. If you're ready to accept Jesus' invitation today, I would encourage you to come out to the Next Steps table right out here in the lobby and speak to myself or any one of the staff that's there, anytime. It doesn't have to be just today, but we'd, we'd prefer you not put it off. If you're thinking about it, come talk to us. During the week, if you want, come talk to us. We want to uh, we want to talk to you about it. Let's pray. Dearly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you so much for your son, for your word, and for this amazing life that you've prepared for us. Lord, sometimes we just want to give up. This world just seems like it's not worth it. And we just want to quit. But, Lord, with you at our side, we can keep going. We can keep doing the things that you need us to do to build the kingdom. We love you so much, God, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps of following Jesus, please email me at kenan at cccj.church, and I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.